Hi, family, and welcome to Woodland tonight, and thank you for joining us, on, joining us online, either on Facebook or YouTube, or maybe you're watching later after it's been posted and recorded. I know that we've had a number of people doing that as well, but I'm so thankful that you've joined me tonight, and we're going to be looking at a fascinating portion of the book of 1 Peter this evening and what God's Word has to say. But before I get into that, don't forget, family, this Sunday is Mother's Day, and guys, if you haven't already been out and bought the gift for your wife or your mom, be sure that you do that. And uh, I've got mine in the mail to my mother. I've got Becky's gift ready, and our kids are preparing dinner for us. So I'm all excited about Sunday and celebrating Mother's Day with my beautiful wife and uh, being able to call home and talk to my mom and Becky's mom as well. Also, don't forget, you know, you can just send us a comment right here online while we're Going through the Word tonight, if you've got a question or if you need prayer, please be sure and, and make a contact there and join with us and, and just participate in the service this evening. So join me and let's pray together, would you? Our Father, thank you for the Word of the Lord. God, your Word is food to us, it's counsel for us, it's strengthening to us, but it's also sanctifying as well. And so as we dig right into this tonight, I just ask you in the name of Jesus, open up our hearts and our minds, I pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, I've titled tonight's message to the experienced and the inexperienced. A few years ago, I bought Billy Graham's book, Nearing Home, as he was writing towards the end of his life. And in his book, he talked about the opportunities that we have as we grow older. And he used an illustration that I was really familiar with, and he used the story of the old Coke and the new Coke. And he said when Coca-Cola changed that 100-year-old formula for the new Coca-Cola brand, those of you that are old enough to remember that, that was back in 1985, millions of people decided they wanted to stick with the real thing rather than try the new thing. And Coca-Cola, if you remember that time, they took the old Coke off the market and was going to have everybody drink the new Coke. As a matter of fact, every Sunday morning, my father-in-law at the time, when I got finished preaching, he would bring me a Coca-Cola to drink, just kind of help my throat. I still like that today. But he would bring me a Coca-Cola to drink, and, and when he bought a new Coke on that one Sunday, I'll never forget it. I was like, oh, this doesn't taste right. And so I, I quit drinking Coca-Colas for a while, and it was because that old recipe, people preferred that than the new recipe. But here's how Billy Graham applied that. He said, what does this have to do with us growing old? He says, old is authentic, old is genuine, old is valuable, and some even say old is beautiful. And the younger, he went on, the younger generation may be faster than the older generation. They may have more energy than the older generation. But he said to folks who are getting older, he says, as long as we're still breathing, we're leading the way. And the generation that follows us is learning about growing old from us. And so the question he asked is, are we good examples? Well, I've got to say, I have so many elders along the way who have taught me and have given me great life lessons, have helped me process different trials, valleys that I've walked through, mountains that I've climbed, and I'm thankful for those elders that have come before me that I've been able to learn from. I remember calling my dad one time. 
and saying to him, Dad, I need you to show me how to get older, how to age gracefully, and how to be a man of God. I talked to some of my other mentors the very same way. And so I just need you to talk to me about growing older. But I also have to say this as well. I have learned from younger people. Even today, I'm learning from people who, who are not nearly as old as I am. They have it, the experience that I have. They haven't been the places that I've been. But their creative ideas and their mindsets and what they're learning and how they're teaching me has been a blessing. And so rather than entitle this a message about an older generation and a younger generation, I decided to title this message about inexperienced and experienced. There's a whole big difference there, but we're going to stick and be faithful to what the Word of God says. And I'm basing that upon two experiences that I've had in my life. One was a friend of mine who was a missionary. He planted a church in a significant little country on the eastern side of Europe. And when he planted the church, the elders of our fellowship and our denomination, who had been through the persecution, who had suffered for their faith in Christ, they didn't like the strategies. They liked the vision, but they didn't like the strategies that my, my friend and my colleague in ministry was using, and so they asked him to leave the movement. It was a very difficult time for him. Fortunately, the U.S. Fellowship just said, hey, we will support you. We stand by you. We understand. And he was able to successfully plant a church and reach young adults and reach teenagers in this important country. And the lesson that I took away from that was the vision was the same. He was faithful to the Word of God, but because the strategies were different than the strategies that they had learned and they had used when they were suffering under the persecution of living under communism, they couldn't separate, those elders couldn't separate the difference between vision and strategy. Vision is that, is that destination we want to get to. Strategy is the pathway of how we get to that destination. Another story very similar to that, a church that I spent years working with and invested lots in and brought teams to, eventually they were asked to, to, to leave the fellowship in another part of the world where a, a much more traditional expression our denomination here, you know, they, they stood by them. They, they, they continued to invest in their lives. But because the strategy was different than the, the experienced ones, were not able to, to embrace it and to love it. The vision was the same, the destination, but the roadway, the pathway was different. So it's not that all pathways lead to God. It's you have to be faithful to the Word and you have to also be flexible with your strategies. So tonight as I work through this message, I hope that you will hear me not as someone that is saying, you know, because I'm in my mid-60s, young people should listen to me. I still try to earn their respect and earn their trust just as much as I try to earn anybody else's trust and respect. Matter of fact, they teach me all the time, and hopefully as a pastor, I'm able to teach and to love them as well. And so the impact that we can have comes from, as an older man, the impact that I can have upon younger men and younger women is not just my successes, but my failures. And the impact that we can have 
is, comes from listening to the skill sets and the visions and the dreams that our younger friends are developing as well. And then one third story before we read the Scripture. This one is a little bit different than the first two I told you. And the reason that it's different is it's shockingly so. It's because I was in Africa where tradition really reigns. I was privy to be, to be asked to come in and to teach on a philosophy and a theology of youth ministry. I worked hard on that, learning the culture, dialoguing with missionaries, studying, preparing. But I wasn't even be halfway prepared for what I saw when I got on the ground. And when I got on the ground, I realized that the young adults were actually excluded from the church and the life of the church and were not even allowed except for certain services in. And so, therefore, they were losing interest in the church. They were finding other causes to support that were outside the church. They were getting caught up in things that were not healthy and, and even sinful that was causing hurt and pain. And so, those elders that had asked me to come in, that I had never suffered and I walked a mile in their shoes, but I asked them, would they humbly take a look at what was happening to the younger generations and ask them, is the destination more important to see these young people become passionate followers of Christ? Or is the strategies of how you've always done ministry? And I'm thankful to say to you, they not only embrace that, but by accepting it and incorporating and the younger and the elder building relationships together, the older folks were able to mentor those young people and disciple them in faith. And when the persecution has come in these last few years, especially to their country, I have been so grateful for the humility of people who listened. So, I would say as, I, as we go through this tonight, ask the Lord to help you to listen if you're an older person. Ask Him to help you to listen to the heart cry of the younger people. Ask, you, ask Him, say, Lord, what are those cries that are coming from their hearts? What are those cries spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, socially? What are those cries coming out of their hearts? And then if you're a young person tonight and you're listening, then ask yourself, what can I learn? What is the life experiences? What is not only the successes but the failures? Too often in our society, everybody is throwing rocks and judging people by their failures. Never waste a good failure. Never waste a good mistake. We can learn and profit. My best life lessons have not come from my successes, but they have come from my failures. So let's look at the Word of God tonight together, if you would. First Peter chapter 5, and we're going to start reading at verse 5 in the English Standard Version. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, that sounds like domineering. That's not what it's saying. It's learn. Be subject. Be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Now, notice that all of you clothe yourselves with humility. In other words, the older should be humble before the younger, just like the younger should be humble before the older. So, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Isn't that wonderful? God cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's a terrifying picture right there. 
He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Think of every nature show that you've ever watched as a lion stalks his prey, looking for the weak, looking for the the lame, looking to cut somebody out of the herd or some animal out of the herd. So he goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me say this. If you're watching, then you can, um, well, I know you're watching. You wouldn't be listening to me right now, would you? But you can download the notes on our app and follow me along in our app and Uh, If they're not on the website yet, you can also find them on the website. And then this evening, I emailed notes to everyone that's on our mailing list. So you may want to try and download those notes and follow along with me because we're going to cover a lot of ground fairly quickly here. Number one, it's just imperative that we recognize that there is a devil. In the Bible, there are some terrifying terms that are used for the devil. The devil is a personal, malevolent force. He is real. And I know in our modern world, that's kind of mocked when we talk about a personal and real devil, but he's there. And the words and the phrases that are used that God uses to describe the devil in the Scripture is some like a roaring lion that we just looked at, but the great red dragon. When you think about the strong man, when you think about the God of this world or the prince of the power of the air, what we learn from the Scripture is that he's this fallen being who wanted to oppose God. He wanted to dethrone God and have His throne above God, you know, foolishly forgetting that He was a created being. Peter talked about Him. Paul talked about Him. But it's very interesting to me that in the Bible, Jesus talked more about the devil than anyone else. Jesus lived and He taught as though there's a very real, personal, malevolent force of evil called the devil. Just as Anton Scalia, and I have really become fascinating reading about his life since he passed away, and honestly, I, I didn't know a whole lot about him, but when I, he passed away, I bought a book that was written about his faith. His son has recently uh, wrote a book about him. I've saved a number of articles as I've looked at them online, but this particular article came from New York Magazine, and it was an interview by Jennifer Senor. And here, I'm just going to read an excerpt. It's in the notes that I put online for you if you want to follow that. She asked, she asked Justice, Justice Scalia while he was a Supreme Court justice, have you seen evidence of the devil lately? You know, it's curious, he said. In the Gospels, the devil is doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot. And that doesn't happen very much anymore because he's smart. So Jennifer asked him, so what's he doing now? What's he doing now is getting more people not to believe in him or in God. He's much more successful this way. I mean, come on. That's the explanation for why there's not demonic possession all over the place. And that's always puzzled me. What happened to the devil, you know? He used to be all over the place, and he used to get all over the New Testament. What happened to him? He's gotten wilier. And then the journalist asked him, isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? And this is, listen to what Justice Scalia says. 
you're looking at me as though I'm weird. My God, are you so out of touch with most of America, most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in circles that are so removed from mainstream America that you're appalled that anyone would believe in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history, and many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. And that article is in conversation with Anton Scalia, and you can find that in New York Magazine from October 6 of 2013. You see, the Scripture says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. So recognize, first of all, there is a very real and personal devil. And though it may be popular in some circles to deny his existence, what better way for an enemy to work than for you to not know that he's there? What better way for an enemy to work than for you to not believe that he or she is the enemy? What better way for your house to be destroyed than for you not to know that there are termites or that there's mold destroying your house or there's a leak in your house? And so, yes, I would agree with Justice Scalia. The devil's gotten wilier in our scientific age where we can explain or we think we can explain everything by fact. You know, I trust Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And if Jesus taught us in the scriptures, and we have that story of how he defeated the devil with the word of God. I want to be a man or woman of the word of the Lord. And friends, I want to tell you something. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Be afraid of sin. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You walk in faith and you walk in the word. Well, how does the devil go about devouring somebody? How does he cut someone out of the herd? How does he, how does he fight us? Well, the scripture's clear here in 1 Peter chapter 5 that he works through our sin of pride, and our sins of anxiety. Now, I know that's also not popular because pride's become very popular today. You know, at the end of World War II, our nation was very humble. There were people who <clears throat> acknowledged that it was the grace of God, it was the glory of God. There's more written about football players and their antics on the field celebrating after gaining two yards than there is about the celebration of the soldiers who fought World War II. Maybe that's why they were called the greatest generation is because they walked in humility. Pride has become big business in trying to get people to think more highly of themselves than they should. Jonathan Edwards who you've read his message if you came through public schools in America. It was a good message, but it's not the only message that Jonathan Edwards had ever preached. But Jonathan Edwards preached a message when he was a pastor in Boston, Massachusetts. He was preaching a camp meeting, as they called it. And a woman had written him and said that, please, please pray for her husband. He had become proud. He had become belligerent. And there was about 800 men in that service that night. And this wife was asking Pastor Edwards to just pray for her husband. And so Jonathan Edwards and that crowd of 800 men, he thought, well, maybe he's here tonight. And I'll read this letter and I'll ask this man to, to, to let me pray with him. And so when he read the letter and he asked if there was anybody there battling with pride, he writes that there were over 300 men who raised their hands asking if, they, if he would pray with them. Friends, let me tell you something. Pride is that insidious thing that creeps into our lives and we barely even notice it. 
Pride was what brought about the devil's downfall. But as much as we hate to admit it, sin is also, sin is thinking that God doesn't care about us and God is, is, is not going to take care of our needs. So it leads us to the sin of anxiety. This came from Jan, one of the January editions of the, of the USA Today. And this was according to, a top, uh, to a, an American psychological survey of the top 10 stressors for Generation Z. That's the ages of 18 to 22. Listen to their top 10 stressors. Money, 78%. Health, 65%. Work, 64%. Family, 56%. Personal safety, 55%. Relationships, 55%. Housing costs, 52%. Job stability, 51%. The economy, 44%. And discrimination, 38%. Friends, when I read these top 10 stressors of young people who are in college and preparing for their lives and they're worrying about things and they're afraid of things that maybe they're not even facing yet. Did you know, according to some studies, 90% of the things, actually the study is 91% of the things that we worry about never take place. And who do you think is behind all of that? It's not just psychological problems. It's what happens as the society gets further and further away from the cross of Jesus Christ. The further we get away from the cross of Christ, the more pride creeps into our hearts. And the more pride creeps into our hearts, the more anxiety creeps into our hearts because we're trying to control our lives and we're trying to control society when there's only one big enough to do that, and that is God. Well, let's look again at the Scriptures tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, in the same way... You who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves or clothe yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor." You see, pride is just the opposite of sin. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Grace is that that God gives me that I don't deserve. God gives me the strength I don't deserve. God gives me the ideas that I don't deserve, the health I don't deserve. God gives me the creativity. God gives me the power. God gives me forgiveness in Jesus Christ. All of these things that I don't deserve, God gives to me. And so, I don't want God in opposition to me if in my pride and my stubbornness I think I'm going to be my own God, if in my pride and my stubbornness I can get along without God, and God leaves me to get along by myself. There's an old story that's told, <clears throat> that I've told here at Woodland before, about a scientist that challenged God and says, God, we can create life in a test tube. God, we can do this. And he just went on all the things that the scientists said that we could do now with our technology. And so God said, okay, I'll accept your challenge. You create something. He says, but the only condition is you have nothing with which to create. That's how I started. And the scientist says, God, that's not fair. At least give me dirt. And God says, I created the dirt. You have to start with nothing. Friends, it's important that we understand everything that is, everything that we have, it comes from from God to us through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible tells us that we should give all of our cares and our worries, our anxieties to God, for He cares about us. Well, how do you address yourself in humility? First of all, you trust in the grace of God. I'm not saved because of I'm a good man. I'm not saved because I'm trying to be a better Christian. I'm saved tonight because I'm simply depending upon the grace of God. That's why I'm saved. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and His righteousness. I preached a funeral earlier this week, and I told the family members that were able to gather there in the funeral home with me at Molnar's. <clears throat> I just, just shared with them how that, you know, my trust and my faith was not built upon anything good that I had done. There were people there who came from another background and said, how, how do you know that he's in heaven? And I said, because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Well, is there anything we have to do to help them get to heaven? No, there's nothing that we have to do to help them get to heaven. Once they put their faith in Jesus, God gets them ready. You see, nothing will make you more anxious. Nothing will make you more worried then if you're always working, trying to climb the ladder to get closer to God through your good works, because how much is enough? How many good works do you need to do to be good enough? What's good enough to be saved? If God was to say to you tonight, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? Why should I let you into a place where there is no more sin, there is no more sorrow, no more pain? And you say to God, I've been good enough. Well, you know in your own heart you've struggled with anxiety. You've struggled with pride. You've struggled with, you know, we've all broken the Ten Commandments. You, you find yourself dealing with those things. And especially when Jesus takes and he, he drills at home in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, look, you may not have committed adultery with somebody and broken your marriage vows, but if you've lusted after someone, then you're committing adultery in your mind. Well, what does that say to me? That says to me, trying to save myself by my own good works is hopeless. But trusting in the grace of God, all things are possible through Christ. So, if I'm depending on the grace of God, and there are those times when I'm grumpy or I'm irritable, then I need to ask myself, why am I grumpy with this person? Why am I irritable with this person? Are, are they getting something that I want? Are they getting... Are they, why are they aggravating me or why are they rubbing against me in the wrong way? I, I don't have any reason to be irritable. I don't have any reason to be grumpy. I have everything that I need in Christ Jesus. And if you're a Christian tonight, so do you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God sent his son to Calvary. There is nothing that God will not do for you. There is nothing. God will take care of you. If he says, you don't have to worry about the bird that falls from the air. You don't have to worry about the flowers in the field. You are so much more valuable to him than God. Yesterday, I listened to a, a young woman. She was so excited about a baby robin that had hatched and was trying to fly. And she had been watching these, these robins since they were eggs in the nest. Yesterday, our youth pastor and his family, there was a duck that hatched some eggs and and uh, his daughter and son had just been watching those little ducklings as they, as, as waiting for the day when they hatched. And there was disappointment because the ducks leave the nest so quickly after they've hatched. You know, it's beautiful and it's, it's wonderful. And you, you, my heart's touched by the tenderness of people who care about and patiently watching 
a duckling hatch out or watching a robin hatch out. You know, I think I'd rather watch grass grow than wait on that to happen. But I see that tender heartedness in them and I see the heart of God being expressed. But I'm telling you, God cares more about you than you could ever dream. So that's one way to clothe yourself in humility. But the second way is, is we need to be aware of what the devil's schemes are. We need to be alert to the devil's schemes. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you have your Bible, circle that word foothold. Or if you're using the app, just kind of highlight that word foothold. Or if you're taking notes, just write down that word foothold because that's very important. Paul goes on to write then in Ephesians chapter 6. This is in Ephesians 4. He's writing, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, what the Bible wants you and I both to understand tonight is there is a real force of evil called the devil there are fallen spirits called demons that work in that area. And so we have to be aware of his schemes. His schemes are footholds in our lives. And that's what we have to be careful of. If I allow irritability and grumpiness in my heart, then I've, I've given a foothold to the devil. If I allow criticism and bitterness in my heart, I've given a foothold to the devil. If I'm watching things on television or reading literature or books that are unhealthy to my spiritual life or sinful, I'm giving a foothold to the devil. So we don't want to allow footholds that the devil can climb hold of and cling into our lives. C.S. Lewis described it like this, as superstition and substition. Superstition is where we overbelieve, where there's a devil or a demon behind every rock or behind every tree. That's superstition. God delivered us from that. That's why the church was able to give the world the gift of science. Theology is the mother of science. But substition is where we underbelieve and we deny the presence of evil. And so that's the balance that I believe Peter is trying to bring us to, and what's been left for us is the Word of God is don't be ignorant, be aware of his schemes. So <clears throat> if I was to, to read this like flee from the devil, I would say to myself, flee from resentment, free from, flee from bitterness, run from grudges, run from temptations, run from those things in my life where the devil would try to get a foothold and hang on to it. But at the same time, we need to understand we can't substitute, we can't underbelieve and think that the problems of human beings are going to be solved by more policemen, by more psychologists, by better counseling, by more money, more education. We have proven in the last 100 years, 120 years, you're not going to solve the world's problems with war, with money, with psychologists. You can only solve it through a change of heart that comes through Jesus Christ and if you've got the outline, I have just listed some places here in the Bible where what Satan's devices are, where he works in our lives. So I won't go over all of that. You can look at that. If you don't have the outline, be sure you get our app. You can download it at the App Store. 
or you can download it from the Google Play Store. And also, it'll be online. You can take a look at it there. But work through those carefully and take a look at those. And then finally tonight, give God all your cares. Give God all your worries. Anxiety is a fear. Anxiety is a fear. And whether we want to admit it or not, we have to admit that anxiety is a sin. Now, Prozac and psychologists are not going to take care of that. And the kind of anxiety I'm talking about is not a chemical imbalance that maybe you need to seek a doctor's treatment for. The kind of anxiety I'm talking about is cowardness. It's cowardliness. It's the kind of cowardliness that you fear everybody else but God. You fear correcting your children because you don't want your children to get angry with you. And so you let them rebel. You let them disrespect you and talk back to you. You let them stay out at all hours of the night because you want to be their friend rather than be their mother or father. And so you're shocked when your daughter comes up pregnant or you're shocked when your son goes to jail or is hooked on drugs. And it all began because you were afraid of them and not of God. God says, train up a child in the way that they should go. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's our job as parents to love our children, but also teach and correct them, discipline them, mold them, shape them in the right direction. If you don't mold your children, if you don't shape your children's thinking, somebody else will be more than happy to do it for you. It may be the high school bully. It may be the drug dealer. It may be an unbeliever, but somebody will want to shape your children for you. It's the person that never stands up for Christ when Christ is being blasphemed because they're afraid of what people are going to say. And it's the reason the book of Revelation, there's an interesting, interesting verse in the, at the end of Revelation where there will be no cowards in the kingdom of heaven. And the reason there will be no cowards in the kingdom of heaven is simply because they feared everybody else more than they feared God. Think about the person who won't serve in ministry. Think about God has given you gifts and talents, and you know that you have them. Maybe you've been through our Discovering Your Ministry class. You've discovered your spiritual gift. You've discovered your, your talents, and you know you have these, but you're sitting on them at home because you're afraid you don't have the time, or you're afraid that you're going to fail, or you're afraid that you're so many things you're afraid of, and because you're afraid you're not using what God has given you to use. Or maybe you're just simply afraid of other people's responses and reactions to you. You're the one God's speaking to right now, where the Word of God says, give all your worries and cares to God. Give them to Him. Your fear of what people think, your fear of how people are going to respond, your fear of your children, your fear of your husband or your wife. Be the man, be the woman of God that God created you to be. And I promise you, you're going to enjoy life a lot more. So the Bible says in James 4, verse 7, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then two more points, and I want to wrap it up. You need to remember, God cares about you. He loves you. God cares about you. I can't begin to tell you how much God loves you. I can't begin to describe how much God cares for you. I want to say it again. If God allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be shredded at that cross, his body ripped apart, stripes laid upon his back for your salvation, then the Scripture declares how much more will he give you everything else that you need for life and godliness.
Not just godliness, but for life and godliness. God is going to provide everything that we need. And in the midst of this pandemic where everybody is trying to frighten us about everything, and I'm not underestimating how serious this pandemic has been, but friends, you don't get this from Fox, you don't get this from CNN, you don't get this from CBS or NBC or anyone else. There's another unfactored equation, and that is God ruleth over all, and God cares about you, and God cares about me, and God cares about everything that pertains to you. And then Peter finally says, be strong in your faith, 1 Peter 5, 9. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. There are people tonight that are suffering all over the world, and they're strong in their faith. You remember those three churches I talked to you about? Two in Europe, one in Africa. Let me tell you a fourth story. The fourth story at a rural church in a small community in Georgia where the pastor stood up against oppression and he stood up against prejudice, went into that town and as he led people to Christ and they began to worship because it was a, it, he was reaching a, a multicultural group of people, a group of proud so-called Christians opposed them and said, if you go to this church, you know, we're going to boycott your businesses and just all kinds of awful things that they tried to do. And this young man and his wife, I learned from them. I learned from them. Although I was a, a mentor and I helped them, I learned so much from them. They stood in the face of all of that prejudice and all of that violence, and they built a church, and they led lost people to Christ, and God gave them the victory in that community. And I was so thankful to be a part of it. And the church in Africa and the church in Eastern Europe and the church in Western Europe, they're all thriving today because somebody feared God more than they feared people. And they listened and they learned. So I can learn from the experienced and the inexperienced. I can learn from the older and I can learn from the younger. And I am so thankful that's a part of what it means to belong to the family of God. We're brothers, we're sisters in Christ. I need you, and you need me as well. Let's love each other. Let's love God by loving each other. Let me pray with you tonight. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for people that I've learned from, like Billy Graham in his books and in his preaching. I thank you for people that I've learned from, Lord, like those elders in Africa who sat down with me and we talked and we discussed. I thank you, Lord, for their assistant general superintendent who helped me and encouraged me. I thank you, Lord, tonight for those two young pastors, Lord, in Europe who, who Lord, feared you more than anything. And now they're older men themselves and they're pastoring thriving churches and they're planting other churches. And I thank you tonight, Lord, that you are present with us. Would you touch those that are fearful in heart? Would you touch those that are prideful in heart? And would you convict us so that we will not allow any footholds of the enemy in our life? And above all, Lord, 
may we glorify you in everything we say and do. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, before you drop offline, and we've got a, we're watching a trend that as soon as I pray, people start dropping off. Would you be sure and, and use your mobile app or use your website and right now? And would you tithe and bring your offerings just like we would do at church tonight? And if you haven't given in a while, why don't you prayerfully right now make a gift to help us continue our ministry around the world tonight. We're not stopping ministry because of your faithfulness and giving. I love you so much. Thank you for being a part of this family. God bless you real good.